my TVs pop up in the Maybach's Benz. I shoot y'all to stunt, nigga. You can't see me. My Bentley GT got so great teeth. I shoot y'all to stunt. My next Yes, people, it is part two of today's special edition of Echo Chamber. And right now, people, we sit down with the great, the mighty, the engaging Kirk Cassette. People, enjoy. Okay, so I am here with Kirk Kuet, the writer, director, the executive producer. I guess it's a, it's a guy that just wants a lot of titles. <laughs> Man, so yeah, you've got a new film coming, American Badger. Yo. Yo, yeah. I think yeah. we need to talk about... Now, I will say, because it you know, could start off with like, why American Badger? But the Badger thing is explained at the beginning of the film. But um, mm. what made you want to write like um, yeah, this sort of kind of assassin love craziness? Um, what made me want to write it? Well, uh, I'm kind of into art house indie films, and I'm also you know, a fight choreographer and, <clears throat> and all these Hollywood type projects. Mm. And um, I have I have this really nerdy um, infatuation with with Wong Kar Wai's work. I don't know if you know Wong Kar Wai. He's he's a, a really famous uh, uh, filmmaker out of Hong Kong, art house filmmaker in the 90s. And he he's he uh, he has that film called In the Mood for Love, which the European Film Critics uh, Society has it rated as the best film ever made. Oh, damn. And a lot of people don't know about his movies and his earlier experimental works are some of the most like strange and yet uh, impressionistic films that I've ever seen. And he has a lot of films. Um, it's one, this one movie called Fallen Angels. I, I, saw, uh, I saw the opening scene when I was like 22 and it just burned into my brain. I was like, this is just diff different than anything I've ever felt when I watched the scene. And so what does um, that interests me, right? So it's mm. like two things here. How did you stumble upon him? And then what was it about like that scene and just the work that really kind of just grabbed you in this way? I stumbled into it in one of those old um, places that still sell, uh, you know, DVDs. <laughs> like 20, this is at least 25 years ago I yeah, a vintage shop <laughs> yeah yeah five years ago and and of course back then that was like you know cutting edge because we didn't you know we we had blockbuster and, and we had a few of these like really you know boutique places and uh yeah it's like a, it was kind of an alternative uh part of this city and in and where I, the city i lived and I, I walked in it had all these five-star reviews and i'm like what the hell is this I have no idea i'm just gonna put it in and and what it is it's like this this combination of of really slow moving burning art house with these exploding action scenes um with a soundtrack that i can never i can never emulate with the budget we have but it's the, the soundtrack is so 
like uh, Wong Kar Wai's soundtracks, he takes probably years to develop them and, and find the right music. And, and it, it's, it's just, it's really intoxicating. And when you, when you watch the first, the first few minutes of, of Fallen Angel, you get, you get this impressionistic sensation that you can't really get out of your head, or at least I couldn't. And um, his plot, his plots, his creativity is so bizarre. Like he'll, he'll actually shoot a movie for 10 years. He'll start like uh, in the mood for love started without a script, without, without knowing what the movie was about. He just had this one song that he knew he was gonna use in the film was a tango. And uh, he had a location, he had characters and he didn't really know what the movie was gonna be about. And he just goes out and him and his DP Danny Boyle, they just start shooting things. And slowly the characters improvise and they begin to take on these characters that manifest as they're shooting. And when it's working, they, they all feel and they all, they all uh, you know, go in that direction. And by the end of it, he'll probably shoot like a 50 to one ratio or hundred to one ratio where we only usually shoot a five to one. And he'll come out with this masterpiece at the end that you cannot explain into existence. And people who have tried to emulate him in the past in, in Hong Kong, you can't. You just nobody's ever done it because nobody's ever been allowed to shoot a movie for 10 years yeah yeah <laughs> like the the only thing that comes to mind when you say that is like boyhood you know what i mean yeah uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, but yeah in a completely different way right so um yeah that's but yeah another masterpiece boyhood right that's like how can you how can you create that it's just it's 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 hard to imagine it um, yeah, as a filmmaker, it's just hard to imagine it. So that was that was kind of the inspiration. Um, his his plots are very. Uh, some people hate his movies. A lot of people like hate hate a lot of his films because the the plots are broken up and and he'll introduce new characters based just solely on the imagery that has has been captured. That's the thing about filmmaking that really nobody understands. How can how can a great script make a terrible movie? Because this happens over and over and over. You can have a great script, the best actors, the greatest cinematography, all the money in the world, and make a terrible film. How does that happen? It's not the director's fault. It's not the actor's fault. How does it happen? Well, there's this really, and and I think that's why I'm I'm fascinated with film is because there's something that happens. We we read the script on our minds, we imagine it, we try to recreate it, but we put up the camera, the lens doesn't see what your imagination saw. It has its own thing going on. Mm. And so what comes through the lens is what's real. Everything else is bullshit. Yeah. Do you also think that sometimes there's a lost in translation element? Right, because you know there, there's some films you hear about, and everyone can really get involved. You know, they'll they'll talk with the writer, and the, everyone is playing a part in its creation. And then there's other films where the director has the sole vision, and there it's it's their thing. No one else can you know inter interject anything into it. And I think sometimes it feels like there were two visions trying to manifest, but they just can't. But I do think you're right. Sometimes it's a case of 
the technology doesn't fit the, 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 the mind imprint. So you can't make yeah, it work. It, yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes, you know, the, the, the pro project is just fatally flawed from the beginning because you've got producers with the different, you know, different needs than what the director wants. But it, it doesn't, that's not really the reason because you can have a fully archer driven film, like completely controlled by a really intelligent, highly creative human being with, with, with absolute control over it. And it doesn't necessarily mean the film is going to be good or not. Mm -hmm. The film, the, what, what, the, what the lens captures is not like, as a filmmaker myself, I can tell you what the lens captures is never what I really see in my mind. And then when you put it up in an assembly, you want to kill yourself because you throw the script in the garbage and you go, half of that shit didn't even work. The best scenes in my film are now on the, gonna be on the cutting room floor and I gotta figure out how to stitch this thing together to create some kind of emotional response to my audience. Right. And yeah. and I don't I don't uh, I don't fall under this this delusion that that a great filmmaker makes great films because of a great script. It's it's really what a filmmaker does as as the information's coming through on the dailies, you got to go into the screenplay, you got to start rewriting things if it's not working. Like that scene didn't work, that. so how can I stitch that together? You're, you know, you're rewriting at night as you come home. And, um, and you know, back to Wong Kar Wai's style, he kind of just jumped over that. He had, you know, he, he had the money to do it and had the resources and the time and the DP that was phenomenal. And he just didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't, he didn't believe in that way of, of filmmaking, that, that a great screenplay made a great film. and. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. He he made In the Mood for Love without a script. He had a sense of what the movie was about. But then when he started, it didn't work. And he pivoted into something else. And then he crafted this big chunk of clay in the editing room. He crafted it for a very long time, probably assembly after assembly, cut after cut, until he created a masterpiece. And I just find that extremely fascinating. Maybe because I work in TV, I work in, in Hollywood, big budget films. And it, you know, they try to control so much of it. And, you know, and yeah, when you have when you have 100 million, 150, 200 million dollars, you can control more of it. And and with with animation, like with Pixar, or even with visual effects, you can create, you can create, you know, things that are more in what was in your head because you're making it. Mm, but mm. as a purist filmmaker, it, it's different, man. It's different. You, you, you've got to, you've got to experience it. If you, if you want to understand like a short film is one thing, but a feature film is another. When you, when you put up the camera and you're halfway through shooting and you look at scenes, you're like, I'm so screwed. This isn't working. I've got to, I've got to rewrite this, this scene and figure out how I can re-edit the movie while I'm shooting it and then you get in the edit editing room and that's when the true story is actually created it's really not not the, the premise is created on the page but the true movie is created in the editing room see I've heard people say that but I've never heard anyone break it down like this that you know what I mean the, the actual imagery that you're capturing doesn't always translate in the way that you you know you were hoping to but it's like is it just when you're viewing the dailies that you realize this is it like right to the when, end 
Oh man, that's such, such, such a day detail. you deliver it. You're like, this is nothing that I that, that was on the page. <laughs> it's nothing. And and that, but you know, the uh, the the magic of it all is is just as many scenes that don't work that you think should. There are other scenes that are just amazing that you never planned. And that's that's you know the the magic of it all. You you can have a tiny little scene, and it's like oh, I might use that scene, I might not. It's not that integral. And then you get in the editing room, and suddenly that's it's it's very similar to to musicians, right? You'll hear this often from like you know great legendary rock bands. They're like, yeah, we went into the recording room, we had all these hits, and then we had this one throwaway song that nobody really cared about, and. And then we released the album. This one song blew up and made us all famous. It was a one-hit wonder, and that's how we got a career out of just by accident. You'll hear that a lot. The, the 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 one song that's the best song doesn't always respond uh, to your will, and you know the audience yeah. perceives it in a different way. And it, it's the same in filmmaking. It's just in filmmaking, there's a hundred million moving parts at all times, and you. you you're just you're trying to you know it's like pushing a rock off a cliff trying to chase it to the bottom and beat it to the bottom that's 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 what filmmaking is yeah that that is really interesting because i i was recently speaking with um a young lady michaela whitman um and uh oh god um arthur de la rocha right um mm -hmm. they've got a new film coming called clairvoyant which is if you get the opportunity, check it out. It's, it's a lot of fun. But um, yeah, they were they were talking about how they were filming it, and uh, sometimes stuff just worked out, right? Mm -hmm. There's 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 a moment where you get this. Um, oh god, I, I think you call it what is it? Camera flare. I, I, I yeah, like that's flare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they weren't necessarily looking to create that, but it just happened but it really worked perfectly for the scene and yeah. it's just like yeah. ah like there's every time like i think there's this thing that the audience you know you're watching something and you're just assuming oh they meant to do that i, I or it's like i wonder how they were able to capture this just like that and to find out sometimes that yo that was just a happy coincidence is it's a little oh baffling you know what I mean? it's baffling and it's and it's it's frustrating and it's it's it, yeah um, my very my very first feature film it was in theaters in 20 uh 2013 2013 and there's this one scene i'll never forget it i had all this dialogue written and it was this big breakup scene between this this guy and his wife right at the very end of the film it's this big breakup scene and we're, we've got this uh, outdoor location out on this on this patio overlooking the ocean and we're inside doing the dialogue and this you know we're, we're shooting out of sequence and we're like oh no oh no it's gonna start raining oh you know we're independent filmmakers we're totally screwed right we can't put sound mics out there it's just this is a nightmare like i'm gonna lose this location i'm not gonna have this scene i don't know where i'm gonna shoot it what in a you know in a alongside the street like i'm screwed and we're like, okay, well, let's just get out there and, and shoot it. And as we got out there, a windstorm comes. And we just, and we just like, we tried to mic it and we're like, screw it, just fight it out, do the lines and we're just gonna shoot it. And in the film, I just turned down the volume and brought up music. 
it's one of the most powerful moments in the movie because her hair is like blowing straight. <laughs> like, looks like we got fans <laughs> on him. She's like yelling at this guy. He's like, ah! there's like storming in circles and the storm created that moment. And when you watch it, you're so engrossed in the film, you, no one will ever know that that was completely by accident because this dialogue was like very intricate. It was very important. But the, the film and that scene are way more powerful because we just, we, we were screwed and we just went with what was in front of us and, and it turned out to be way better than what I had on the page or even what I had in my mind. <laughs> hmm. Now, this, I am curious, right? Because you, this might sound like it's a tangent, but there, there is a method to the madness, right? Because, you know, you, you've been a big stuntman on, on like these huge films, right? But yeah. you got into the, the directing and the writing and all of this kind of thing. So what training did you have for the direction? Well, I, as far as the technical side of direction, I don't think a lot of people understand that when they watch a big film, um, if it's an action movie and we have a second unit, we, we direct that as like a stunt team, a second unit director is usually the stunt coordinator um, yeah. or stunt coordinator. And then we have a full, a full unit. And we actually, we actually pre-vis those scenes. We direct the scenes. We deliver the scenes to the studio cut and the director who is in collaboration with us or if he's allowed to collaborate with us the studio might not let him um, or her in certain situations because these big studios can be really difficult to work with mm. um, and, and so the technical side like the editing side shooting fight scenes is more technical than any other thing i mean we you have so many choices so many like you have to consider you have to take into consider every every time anything changes, any tiny little thing, you've got to figure out where's this camera going to be? What is this punch? How does this sell? You know, it's really, really technical filmmaking. It's the most technical part of filmmaking is shooting fight scenes. When, when I go to it, like I was, I was on a TV show last month and I was a stunt coordinator and the director had to shoot just this little tiny fight scene and they just went blank. They're just like, and, and this is a very, very good showrunner. She's, she was a showrunner and, and the director in the episode. Great DP, great first AD. And they just went blank. They just have no idea how to do it. And it's, and it's like, for me, it's like, give me the camera. <laughs> and I, I edit it all together in my head. So uh, as a stunt team, we don't get any credit for that or have, we, people don't understand that that's what we do, but we will shoot a huge portion of films. So from that standpoint, I was very, very comfortable shooting a, a talking head drama. That was like, that was easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know how it's gonna cut, I know what I'm doing. Um, and I started writing screenplays when I was about 20, about 20 years old, 19 years old. And I had my first screenplay option by Lionsgate when I was 20, so it was 1995, I think it was. So I was like 24 years old. Nice. And, and so I've been writing a very long time. Um, and I'd studied screenwriting for a very long time. And I, you know, I'd made a few little short things. And so when, by the time I, I got, I got there, I, yeah, I was, I was pretty, pretty confident and competent, but I wasn't confident. And that the, the reason I made my first film, it's, it's like a singer songwriter movie. Um, and I, I, I play it, I wrote and played all these songs and then I played them live on camera, which was really, really uh, terrifying. 
because <laughs> we 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 weren't overdubbing you know in the studio so it was really scary and and that's that's why i made that film to really really challenge myself in, in that regard um i'd never sang in front of an audience in my life and i made a movie singing in front of an entire you know i don't know how many million people saw the film or something and it's the scariest thing i've ever done and and that's that's why that's why i did it um so yeah but by having you know screenplay by understanding casting and by understanding the technical aspects of it, I felt fairly confident going into my first film, my second film. Yeah. Now, I, what the, the reason I asked you that is I, I was curious because it's like, um, I, I know there's, there's, with a lot of things, there's these classes, right? And they teach you all these fundamentals. Yeah, you know, I've seen these comedy classes, how to write jokes. Right. And you and you go to these things and they tell you, like, anyone can do this and you just need to and you structure it and you should have this in it and this in it. And it's always you just feel like, but no, not everyone can do this. Right. It, it takes there's a nuance to it all. Right. And, and you're having to learn the. How to work in those situations where it all goes wrong. So what I'm curious about is like when you were shooting that scene in 2013 and it's raining and windy and but you still did it right because I'd, I'd imagine there's a lot of people that were taught okay so if this happens you don't try and shoot in this in these conditions because it just will never work right and there's a people that might have gone no filming today people Oh, everybody but, would have done that. Yeah, but, but the fact that you didn't, right, mm -hmm. and, and you were able to capture this incredible moment, right, that's the thing I think it's hard to learn. So it's interesting that that was your, you know what I mean? You, you didn't blink. You just went and did it. You know what I mean? Well, thanks. I've blinked a lot. I, I, <laughs> you you don't tell the people that, Kurt. You laughed in the face of fear. You went and did it. You were terrified. You didn't know if it was going to work at all. I'm like, I'm so screwed. I don't have like the climax scene of the relationship in the film. I lose location. We're, we're so screwed. Let's just see. Let's, and then in the editing room, I'm like, oh my God, this is maybe the best, like I turned the music up, brought the sound, I'm like, this is maybe the best scene in the film, <laughs> you know? Um, you know what, you know what it is? It's, it's, um, it's, it's similar to, it's similar to um, like the first time you invest in the stock market. This is, this is, this is a good analogy for it. You can go to school, learn economics, you can, you can learn all these different things and you can even set up a, a fake trading account and trade fake money and you never really learn much, but you put that first hundred dollars in there and it matters. Mm, yes. <laughs> your, your learning curve goes up exponentially and you can go to film school and you can take all the classes and do all that, but you take some of your own money and you go out and make a short film and you watch how quickly you improve compared to someone who just went through film school. If you have someone who has gone two years in film school you're like, oh yeah, my dad's paying for classes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I got, I got a degree in film school. And you take someone who's made two short films. And if I had to place my, my bets on someone who, who was gonna make a third, you know, make, make a good feature film, I'm gonna go with the guy who, you know, the guy girl made, who made the short every time. Because mm. film school only really teaches you the theory of it, doesn't put you up, you know, throw him in the deep end up to your neck and you gotta swim and figure it out. And, 
as you figure it out, you learn from your mistakes. You learn when you're drowning, you learn how to get out of those things. And over time that crystallizes and creates a base for you to stand on. Nice, man. See, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. It always just, I'm always so intrigued by the process because it's always a different one, right? Whoever you speak with, they've just got this different way of creating this magic that we get to watch on the screen. And it's just, it's fascinating. It, it really is. Like, do you ever have people come to, to learn under you, like apprenticeship, so to kind of get the gist of this whole thing or? Yeah, I think nat naturally you have, um, yeah, I think, I think every, every film you'll have a lot of people who, in just various levels, right? They're just curious, They're, they'll come in and work as a production assistant, or you'll have people who come in and work as, uh, you know, a, a third assistant, a director, or you'll have a camera, you know, assistant who comes in and just like hands the cameraman the camera because they're they're just they're all learning, you know, and mm. and that's all the way all the way right up to uh, you know the director's chair, for sure. Um, there there's always <clears throat> always people who are are going to be learning from the craft, and and that's how it's that's really traditionally how it's been it's been um, taught. You 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 learn it by being there. You you absorb a lot by being on a film set spend 10 years on a film set, you're going to, you're going to know movie making inside and out. Um, even to the point where if, if you spend 10 years on a film set, you'll probably absorb enough, even just from hearing the director or actors talk to each other about how to, how to coax a performance out of an actor. You'll learn a lot. So yeah, you, you know, I, I'll have, I'll have uh, different, you know, uh, different categories of people who, who I'm mentoring while I'm directing for sure. For sure. And, and I'm not really trying to mentor them. I just, it, it just happens. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, man. That's, that's interesting. All right. So I'm um, heard it here, people. I'm going to be on the set of the next uh, <laughs> cool film and I'm going to be learning. <laughs> Come down. Man. Come down. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> all right. So your new film, American Badger. Right, yeah. so it, it, it's, it's funny, like we seem to see these cycles, right? Where, you know, you'll, you'll get a certain type of film come, then other people try and make that type of film and it falls away. Mm. And then a few years later, you know, it goes again, right? And I, I think in recent years, we've had the boom, the boom films, which were very good and just, different right different to the bond type of um like assassin action film and then mm -hmm. of late we've had you know the john wick films you know mm -hmm. but then you throw in things like leon and 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 stuff like yeah. that right yeah. so in this field where there have been some great films la femme nakita oh, was amazing oh my days incredible and it's funny because my site is terrible, so I can't watch subtitled films. But I yeah. just, I watched La Femme Nikita, and there's, luckily there's not a lot of dialogue, and they do speak very slowly. So I, mm. I, I struggled through it, and it was, whew, love that film. Oh, man. Amazing. A great film, a great film that you can turn the audio off. 
You really can. If you, if you watch a great film, you can turn the audio off and you have no doubt what's going on. Because mm. a good film is told through pictures and the talking is secondary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, yes, like the, the dialogue is a supporting cast member. Mm. As, as yeah, it were. But I like that. Yeah, every everything else is the main act, and 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 you can. It's just like the body language and like those certain little things that happen. You know, yeah, that tone change. That it's, visual. Just, it's a visual medium, right? Yeah. It's not. It's not. You know, reading, reading or listening. It, those are different. This is. It's a visual medium, and yeah, that's so cool that you 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 could you know watch a French film and and be that affected by it. that that just means it's a great movie it really does mm. so why like what was the thing about all right I'm, I'm gonna try and tell my story I, I wanna like what was that kind of feeling when when there's been so much ground trod ground trod ground trod trod ground yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. We'll go with that. Right. There's uh, been there's so many of these films. Right. So when when putting this together, what was mm -hmm. like the thought behind it? Um, the thought behind it is it's it's a lot more complex than what it might seem because of the way the film's being marketed. Um, <clears throat> again, being really influenced by this concept that this Hong Kong filmmaker uh, in the 90s created where you you don't really know what you're going to get um, and so you shoot things and as you shoot things you realize what you're going to get so we shot we shot a, a, in a like a very uh, high ratio of of, of uh, shots per for what we use and this was intentional um, and I just liked I just like this uh, this very very quiet film noir feeling and explosive pieces of action. And I, I, I find it more interesting. I do not, <clears throat> film noir is not everybody's cup of tea, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, most young men who want to go in and see an action film, they want John Wick, right? They, they want something that's just like, yeah, let's just throw popcorn in the air for two and a half hours because the fight scenes are amazing. And that's cool. You know, that's, that's, that's cool. That's what, that's how I make my living. Um, but, uh, I'm just, I'm also just really interested in, in, in the art of it and the much bigger picture of, of the artistic element of this film. And again, it might not interest anybody, but, but, you know, film nerds, I don't know, but, it, but what, what we actually did is we actually created two films. And so American Badger is the first of two, of two movies. And was this fully intentional from the beginning? Not entirely. I did have it in my mind because it was a, a project that I wanted to do a long time ago. But the second film, the follow-up film to American Badger is called American Velvet. And the female character in American Badger is actually the lead character in American Badger. And not many people, unless you study screenplay or a story, would understand that she actually goes through a hero's journey and, and Badger character does not. Badger character to be the lead because he's doing all the you know fight scenes and you're following him but when you actually study it from a filmmaker's perspective she she's the character that's in a really really crappy situation she's forced into a situation that she's she's um, uncomfortable with 
she must change. She starts to change. Everything falls to shit. And then she has to rise from the ashes and redeem herself so that she can transcend to the next stage of her life. She's actually the main character of the film. The Badger character goes to that point, but then he doesn't. And he retreats back to what he knows, which is violence. And, and at the end of the film, he's pretty much exactly where he started. So she's the lead. When um, American Velvet will, will come out, it's in post now, and it's a sound design. When you watch that film, it's a, it's a completely different movie about the same story. And so it would be like sitting down with this Badger character and be like, okay, man, tell me what happened. He's like, well, you know, I hadn't talked to a woman in 12 years and then I got swept away in this bullshit and then I then they wanted me to kill her and I fucked up, you know. And, and when you talk to her, the interesting thing about her story, she doesn't see any of his like martial arts stuff. She doesn't see any of, any of that going on. She doesn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And she actually leaves at the end of the movie thinking he's just a delusional psychopath because you know he tries to get her to kill her own pimp who she's in love with. She doesn't even realize who he actually is. We know who he is from Badger, but yeah. from her perspective, she doesn't know. She doesn't really know. And so at the end of the film, she doesn't know who he is and she leaves with the money and she and, and doesn't look back. And that's that's really interesting. It's like it really is like sitting down in a room with two people who have gone through a bad relationship. <laughs> and you ask the guy, tell me what happened. Well, she did this and that and this, this, then that. And then you tell the girl or you ask the girl in a separate room. And it's completely a different story. My version versus your version of the events are completely different. And so what what we did is we 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 shot both of these at the same time by using a lot of a lot of coverage, a lot of footage. And we did we did two reshoots, one for each bat, one for Badger and one for, for Velvet. The, the film's called American Velvet, tentatively. And in the editing room over a long period of time, I parsed I, I parsed them out into two separate stories and two separate films that are the same sequence of events, but my version of the events versus your version of the events, which was really true, you know, and you can see why each person would, would see it in their own way. Mm. And I, I find that from, you know, our house film maker, I find that really interesting. It's not mainstream and it's not, um, it's not easily financeable, you know? So we had to, we had to really just, you know, pull up the bootstraps and, and say, Hey, let's make this happen and, and let's do it. And American Badger really is the the film that that is going to have the box office um, sales or whatever you want to call it. We we actually been picked up by a by a, a major cable um, uh, network. Uh, nice. Really great. I wish I could say it. it hasn't been announced yet, but I'm really excited. It's like my favorite my favorite cable network of all time, and okay. yeah picked up by it and that's you know that's how we're gonna you know refund part of the the money we spent and and the rest is is just an exercise in filmmaking for me my my intention here is to create a body of work where i feel so confident by making all these mistakes by learning all these things by having these triumphs these successes these failures again i want to i want to i wanted to create a body of work that i could stand on and feel that I can go into any meeting with anybody at any time and they can look at my work. They really want to look at it and have a long discussion with me about how I could helm 
their project on a mm. you know a real budget like a major budget and because of my my action background i'm probably the right guy for those you know big temple type of franchise films and that's really the intention it's career building it's a it's a you know i don't want i didn't want to be a movie star going into this, this isn't you know if i if i wanted to be a movie star i would have put up nice lights and i shot all my close-ups with like a fisheye stored in my face like, I didn't, I didn't set out to be like this charismatic, you know, hero. I wanted, you know, I wanted to just really experiment and really get into this and make some mistakes. You know, we've got a lot of magical, happy moments. We've got a lot of scenes that like, how did that scene turn out so badly? It was the best written scene in the script. We've got a lot of those, you know, and we, we just pulled these things apart in the editing room. And, and we, we came out with two films that both work. Just making one film that works is hard, but making two films that work about the same story, bananas. Like, you know? how how do you keep that frame of mind when you're when you're putting them together? Because at one point it's like, okay, so Badger is flowing, but 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 uh, wait, no, this is Velvet, and Velvet, uh, the beats are different. Very, this one's like, how do you? It's actually not that hard. You you put you put yourself in the position of the main character, and you're like would she know this no she wouldn't how would she see this scene it's the same dialogue but it's actually not the same dialogue because when you're you could be in a room and have a conversation with somebody and they could go and say yeah it went like this and the other person can be like oh we talked about that mm. and so that's what's in each each scene almost every scene there there might be some lines that overlap where they're both in agreement but in general the dialogue is different, even though the location is the same. So what she's what she's hearing him say is different from what he thinks he says. Yeah, and, and I guess especially because they don't know each other, so it's like no it, it can take ages to pick up on people's inflections and body language. Because you know, there's there's times when people go, um, you know, like oh, if, if you're sitting in a certain way, that means blah 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 that's what like experts will tell you but some yeah that's yeah. not always the way right yeah. and especially someone that hasn't spoken to people all this time they're not going to follow those typical communication mm -hmm. norms so you could definitely mm -hmm. see how that can throw up a situation where someone could easily misconstrue your intentions or what you're trying to put out there I think this would be a fascinating, um, because you know you get those cinemas, right? Over here, we've got places like um, the BFI, the Prince Charles, you know, places like that. And they do these movie um, double headers, right? So I, I definitely kind of envision this as being one of those situations, like um, the badger hole, you know, American badger, American velvet. See them here. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. You know, it's art house filmmaking, right? I mean, it, 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 it's, yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't go into a project thinking, how can I maximize box office? Because if you do that, really, like, I, you will just make a bad action B movie, and that's easy to do. And mm -hmm. it's easy to, easy to make a B movie, like a genre film. If I wanted to do something that simple, God, I would have saved so much money, so much time, so many headaches, so much you know just terrifying 
moments of my life that I've just been like, oh my God, this isn't working. Holy shit. I need to walk away for a day, a week, come back and figure out how I'm going to fix this. That would have been all those nightmares, two years in the editing room, that would have been gone. I could have literally just went, hey man, let's make a kick-ass, you know, martial arts film. Because we've got, we've got the most talent, we've got the deepest talent pool um, where, where I'm based out of in Vancouver for stunt performers. We've got 560 working stunt performers. And, and, and LA, I mean, we, they don't even shoot anything in LA. We've got, we've got a deeper stunt pool in, in Canada than anywhere because they, they've outsourced all of their movies from LA, from, from Hollywood. It's the same as every other industry. So like the best technicians in making cell phones are in China. Yeah. The best, you know, guys who are performing fights and I mean, they're in Canada. It's just how it is. I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, Americans, but it's just <laughs> how it is. Work in America. Hey, you're meant to be the Canadians are always meant to be the nice guys. <laughs> well, we are the ones kicking but us. <laughs> we, we are also, also to be honest sometimes. <laughs> We're, we also play hockey, you know, and and we we have we have a code of conduct in our in our society we we still do you know grow up fist fighting you know we're like the irish we're very <laughs> we will throw down you you know look at me the wrong way you know it it's it's that culture we're super polite but don't you know don't take it too far <laughs> we will knock you out we will go redneck we will go full redneck <laughs> the badger is coming out <laughs> oh man oh, funny. when you shot like because the opening scene right it, it, it's like this slow kind of action right and, and it's shot in this in this club and everything like that like did you know from the giddy up that that would be the open or did that just come in the edit room as such um that that came as a as a result of uh distribute uh, distributor demands uh sales demands right right the that fight scene was supposed to be 10 minutes in the film and that was another part of the restructuring process because I wanted to, I want to set up the characters and build the characters a little bit more before we had that fight scene. But they're like, no, this has, this has to check that box, has to, because we, mm. we, we make sales, sales on this film with a poster, a trailer, and the first, they'll watch the first ten minutes of the movie, and that's it. Like a lot of buyers in, you know, Kazakhstan or whatever, right? Like that's where you know we we get most of our sales internationally from multiple countries. They don't speak English. They'll 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 just want to see the first. The, the poster, the trailer, and the first 10 minutes of film, knowing that it's, and then of course they'll look at the team. Of course they'll, they'll say, oh, hey, this, you know, this director guy, oh, he's got all these, you know, Marvel films under his belt that he's, you know, choreographed, filmed, performed, whatever. And they will look at that. But if, uh, if, if I had it my way as, you know, as a geeky artist, uh, I, I would have put that, that action scene in in a different place and, and i would develop the characters a bit more because so i think the film when you the, the way it's marketed and the way it's it's just it just punches you in the forehead with with this fight scene right i think i, I i'd have to do the body count on it but i think i'd like smash and kill 35 people for i don't i don't yeah good few people good few people is it, 
people. People, I should count. Like, think I should count. It's just like, oh shit, someone woke up without their coffee. Yeah. <laughs> someone, yeah, a whole lot of people. Uh, so yeah, that you know, that's that's one of that's just one of the sacrifices that you make. You know, you have to you have to fit into this certain genre, uh, you know, somewhat. And, and that's part of the sales of it. Uh, the sales aspect. Yeah. You got to open with a bang. And I, and I think that personally, I think I detracts from the film. I would like to get to know the characters a little bit better, get to know their struggle a little bit better before we see that. And, and because I think, because I think smashing in the forehead with a crazy action scene of that length, it's like three stages and it goes, you know, and it's really, it's really tight and violent. Mm. And then, and then we go into the character development. It feels like the movie stops, but it wouldn't feel like it stops if it didn't start with like repeated punches in the face, <laughs> audio, right? I, but I think the, the voiceover, that helps set the tone differently. And I thought the voiceover was very interesting, right? Because usually I, you kind of feel that this kind of character, it's like, I'm a lone wolf, I'm a leader, I'm an alpha male, right? Yeah. I, I control my own destiny, I steer my own shit. But I thought, and that's something we get hammered into us throughout life, right? Mm -hmm. For, like, but to be anything in the world, you need to be a leader, not a follower. Followers, yeah. they get nothing. Yeah, but, nice. Last time yeah. you checked out, if you're ready to take on the world at all times. Yeah, this character is the opposite of yes. that. He's and that narrative, real interesting, because it's like, you see, there's so many people who, who, who work better being guided. You know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, there's been a few films where like a character has realized that and you've, and you've kind of seen that in, in their arc, but I don't think it's ever really overtly been said. You know, so I thought to come out the gate because we've got this juxtaposition of the violence, but then we've got the character going, you know, I just like to have someone tell me what the fuck to do. It's just yeah. like, oh. My superpower is not that, I, that I'm this killing machine. My superpower is that I'm just really good at taking orders from other people. And that mm. way I don't make any mistakes. Yeah. So he's just, he's resigned. He's like, you know, I've resigned from life. I don't mm. talk, to, talk to anyone in 12 years. And all I do is just tell, just get people to tell me what to do. And because I'm really good at killing people, that's what I do. And, and he's, yeah, he's not a hero. <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> Even yeah. at the end, he, he doesn't, he, he, he's not really, a, you know, heroic at the end. He goes, he goes back into his reclusive shell and goes back into having people tell him what to do. The end, you know, the last scene in the film, you know, you can hear the, the beeping and the cell phone ringing of, of like his, you know, his boss is calling him, you know, to tell him, you know, what the fuck is going on? Why didn't you follow orders, you know? So he's he's going back into that moment. And, and you know, what, will he change a little bit? Well, we don't really know, we don't really see it, right? So if you can connect with that character, um, you'll like the film. And it's kind of cool, we got really polarizing reviews which I think is very cool because it's we, we didn't get any like two star reviews, you know, like none, right? We got four star and we got one star. It's like either you went into the movie and you were expecting to see John Wick and you give the movie a one star 
or you're going into the film with an open mind and you're like, what is this about this? I love film noir. And then, then they're like, wow, this film is actually has some layers of complexity to it. And oddly enough, it's, uh, it's actually getting higher ratings from a female audience, which is weird, but not that weird because females are more, they're, they're, they're more tolerant of things. They're more, maybe not tolerant, but they're, they're more complex creatures, I think. And so instead of watching John Wick, like a lot of, a lot of female, a lot of feminine, they don't like John Wick that much because it's like, it's too masculine. It's too much where this guy is like, uh, the female characters seem to be connecting to him in a different, you know, more meaningful way than our male audience. So we're getting higher reviews from the female audience, even though it's totally not marketed towards that because yeah distributors point of view they're like hey we've got this hollywood fight choreographer that's been doing this forever that's done all you know all these big shows and everybody knows who he is let's focus on that and let's sell the crap out of that smart they have to and i need to do that too to, to make some of the money back you know repay people and, and myself um but then you've also got a, a layered character in there and if you care and if you want to follow that there there is some complexity to these people it's not just John Wick, you know, nobody just killed my puppy at a gas station and I go on a rampage and it's like, yeah, get the Mustang out, do the donuts, kill as many people. It's not that movie, you know, it's, it's an art house film. It's an art house film and mm. it's not everyone's cup of tea for sure. But if, if you, if you can do a little bit of homework on it first and know what you're going into, um, you, you'll probably be, uh, you, you won't be as disappointed as a young man going and thinking you're going to watch John Wick five because it's not that even though we have a 120 stunt guys on the movie and huge martial arts set pieces action pieces but there is still uh, you know some layers going on underneath and and when people know that there's actually a, a companion piece to the film told through the perspective of the other character that's completely different from this version it should it should make at least some of the film nerds out there interested and in, in, and watch both you know like Maybe maybe we'll have a badger hole night, and <laughs> you know you can watch both movies. I mean, it is compelling that the the you know we're gonna get this second look, <laughs> right? I I think that's really because I think sometimes when you watch something, right, and and you see these characters go through situations, but one character is kind of leading another character through or telling another character, we got to do this and change you got to change this and hey that's not good let's move bum, bum, bum. you do wonder what must be going through that person's head especially when this is the first time they've met this person so they've got to yeah. take this complete leap of faith into trust and you wonder why the fuck are they trusting this person mm -hmm. and, and so to be able to then see what was going through Velvet's head that is yeah. yeah that's kind of big I think I think it's really interesting I think it's really interesting and so for yeah for me I got to I got to satisfy both of my sides of my brain you know the the, the film nerd and then and then I also got to do you know I, I got to create a character with the and, and then design the choreography around the character and, and rehearse it for like months shoot for a very long time, do as many takes as it were necessary to get these shots done. And so I got, yeah, I got to really flex both sides of my brain, which is something I really like to do. Mm -hmm. I like doing it. Yeah. So does, 
velvet get a different sort of color palette and a, and a different tone of soundtrack and and those kind of things yes interesting yes the, the soundtrack is much more in her world there's strings it's 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 uh, more emotional um the badger character is much more charismatic to her so when we see him he's much more charming mm. in 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 badger you know he hadn't talked to a woman in 12 years so i'm playing playing very stilted when he's meeting her right like very stilted because that's how he's feeling but in 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 velvet's version of the film he's much more charismatic and heroic in her eyes you know and i i yeah like you said like why would she follow this guy why would she fall in love with this guy we're not really seeing it but when you see it from her perspective you get it so yeah man yeah this this yeah this i mean i i definitely feel you need to do q and a's and shit after these films and like be able to break it all down and and, and and tell people the thinking of you know what went in making them you know because it's so so compelling to to hear these you know opposing kind of forces coming together like that you know, now, yeah, experimental filmmaking, and it's it's different. Mm. Now, like in the opening, well, it's now the opening scene, right? Mm. There's there's one thing that always I always wonder about because it's like this this fight in a, a, a club, and it, you know, the, it's dark and everything like that. But sometimes you watch scenes like that, and it's too dark. Right, and you can't, it's hard to see the action. And then other times it, it's just right, right? So I, yeah, I'm very intrigued in how you do try and get that lighting just right, you know, to be able to let people see what's going on, but also give that ambiance of, you know, the setting and what would actually be happening for your character. Yeah, there are two. There are two things. Um, aside from color correction, I mean, color correction is a lot of it. But there's two things that are at the root of that, and uh, the the director of photography <clears throat> will allow a certain amount of light into the camera, right? Well, certain settings, and we we use um, we use anamorphic lenses for certain things. We use prime. Uh, we, my my DP has the largest camera company in in the country and the largest set of a selection of lenses, I think, you know, maybe not in the world, but he's a total, total lens geek, right? <laughs> so he will, he will let it, just enough light in the camera and he'll pick, he'll pick as many, as many things as it is, we, you know, as much of the natural light around the nightclub as you can use. And he'll find ways to like, try to find a lens flare as that light spins. And he'll put the camera right where that lens flare is going to catch, you know? And then also there's the choreography and how we shoot it. And you'll notice in Badger, there's almost no insert shots. Very, very few. Insert shots are when you like punch in super close, you punch out, mm. you know, you, you'll you see. And some of the action is very good in, in those types of films. Like for the audience, it's, it's like a Jason Bourne thing where it's like everything is like, you can hardly tell what's going on. But you have to do those scenes in a lot of light, right? right? You, 
you have to have you know, very rarely can you do uh, you know a, a, like that super fast cutty you know if you do that with low light you're 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 gonna lose like you said you'll you'll lose your audience because they can't see it so we're using a wider lens we're stepping back and most of the fight scenes are shot as one shot so we're we're not even we're we're not even cutting um in the editing room we go in and you know we wanted to flash the reason you know i flash back to him laying in bed thinking about the fight scene so we can make it like a memory right so i had to cut up the fight scene in order to put it in the beginning but the way it was actually actually shot the 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 entire sequence I, there's like a i don't know how many 75 moves or something like that without a single cut and we're shooting on a wide lens and we're following and seeing almost the entire body we're not doing any inserts any cuts any of that jumping jumping around things because we're in a dark environment and and when you when you prepare that and then you bring that into the editing room and then you can adjust it with the color bring it up bring it down a little bit you've you've given the the colorist enough to work with so that you don't you're not going to lose your audience and so that's how it's done uh, interesting so like with a scene like that and some of the other ones, because you know, they, like this whole experimental nature of things, like do you do like, um, is there a test day and you go, right, let, let's, let's work out how we film this scene and this scene and this scene. So you know the lighting and the angles or do you just yeah. run it and then go, all right, let's run it again from this other angle or this other look we usually do three tests um in a pre-vis it's, it's just called a pre-visualization of the fight scene and so we will go in and again you have an idea how it's going to piece together after you do the choreography and you kind of have you know you know where the camera's going to be when you choreograph you kind of place and then you, you actually put the camera up throw on a 35 throw on a 25 you know whatever you, whatever you're you're putting up and you see if it works and it never does <laughs> <laughs> and so you go and the, you know you you splice it together and you're like okay that doesn't work that doesn't work that doesn't work let's go back tomorrow and redo it and so you go back and you have to redo it and you go back and you cut it all together again and you're like okay that still doesn't work can we just punch in on that and make that work no okay hmm. okay let's let's look at this whole thing let's tear it all apart and let's put it okay what's working what's not okay what's the best people okay and then the third time you go into the location and you run it all through and you really figure it out and you're like, okay, we're all signed off on that. So we get there on the day and we got an entire crew standing around 40, 50 people, all gotta be fed. <laughs> we're ready and we know what we're doing. We're not gonna waste time and, and, and waste money, uh, especially time because we only have a few days or one, you know, one or two days to shoot that fight sequence. Mm. So it's, it's uh, a lot of preparation goes into it. So several weeks of choreography, and you know a lot of editing a lot of shooting on location you 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 shoot uh, in rehearsals as well in the rehearsal space but really when you get to the location if you really want a tight fight sequence you're going to have to rehearse it on the location yeah you know without question so that's that's how it the the creative process uh, works right to, to uh delivery now it, it sound, that sounds like yeah it, it takes a little while but you know you've worked a lot on tv as well so 
what's the difference of producing that sort of scene on TV? Because I imagine that's quicker. Like you, you don't have as much time to make corrections and things like that. Because it's just, you know, a memorable fight scene would be season, definitely season one of Daredevil, going down the hallway and like yeah. that, those tight angles and it's dark and incredible, incredible yeah. scene. Try to find one from television. Try to find another one from television. There it, isn't any. Yeah, it is very, yeah, it, it, it's hard. There's, I think sometimes you're watching these fights and it, it, it's always been my, my thing with, you know, a, a lot of this stuff on TV is I don't believe it, right? And, and I think it's not to say Right. What I'm going to say is not to say that everything they do is bad, but for me, I'll say it. <laughs> like the, the Netflix Marvel stuff was the closest stuff to, I, I, I think, the way you might envision that going down. Right. The, the closest thing to an action movie, because a lot of times you get. I, I I always found like the DC stuff, like the um, Smallville and things like that. The never believed any of those fights. They no. just were just weird. It, you're just like, what is what's going on? Come on, man! Like no one yeah. would do that, and you're not punching like that, and it's just like argh, infuriating. So it's just like yeah, watching that Netflix. But now, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier. That just took it up another yeah. motherfucking notch. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. I that was incredible. Oh my days! When the Dora Moshe came in and cleared right. up, whoo! Oh my. Yeah, there's like when you when you go to, and and this is you know I work on these. This is no this is nobody's <clears throat> fault. This is just a matter of uh, time. Yeah, it's, it's really what it is. The, the CW action is generally bloody awful, even though they've got really good people at the helm. But how can how can you you know I, I worked on um, I worked on Superman and Lois. Um, I think I can say that. Yeah, I, I worked on it a couple months ago. It should be up by now. And we you know they they wanted like Zach, they wanted a Zack Snyder scene, and we had one day to rehearse it. And we've got like five guys on ratchets flying through the air and they want this like slow motion, boom, and explode. It's like Zach, Zach Snyder, I, I've worked, you know, on those. And like, that would be a, uh, Zach would take three months to rehearse that. We had one day. Mm. How is that going to look good in one day? It looks good enough for TV, right? It looks good enough, but it, you can't, you can't do quality feature film work on a television schedule you can with with acting but you can't with action yeah. these these streaming tv shows are different you know when netflix makes for a streaming they shoot those like i think altered carbon the the budgets were 34 million an episode so they're spending 34 million dollars an hour of television well, of course, you know, and, and Apple see this, the Jason Momoa thing, mm. you know, the fight scenes are great and they have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to throw behind it and schedules that are feature film level schedules. 
But when you're talking about CW, you can have the same choreographer, well, generally, but maybe somebody who came up in the CW universe and didn't experience a Zack Snyder film might not know the difference or how to get that kind of quality, or maybe not, maybe they do. Um, but you'll, you'll, just, you'll just never be given enough time to experiment, to work, to figure out the details, to get you know, a, a, a CW TV show like Smallville to the level of a feature film, you just never ever will. And it doesn't matter who's in charge. It's just, it's just not the same, the same time. Yeah, I, yeah, because I've always heard that the, yeah, it's so fast paced, right? They're doing 20 something episodes and it's just like, um, boom, 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 boom. And, and yeah. so like when you're explaining, you know what I mean? I, so yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll practice the scene and we'll do the first day and then the second day and then you go to the actual place and we'll do it and you're just like, all right, if it takes this much to do that, how the hell can they, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, that, that's it, right? Because you just don't yeah. have the time. But I, but I do think that there's an expectation I don't think when watching like the CW stuff, there's an expectation for that level of fight scene. But when you're there's watching, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier, you mm -hmm. expected it because we're told, like the, the whole cell was, this is Marvel Studios taking over the TV stuff. And yeah. this stuff is feeding into the, so we're like, okay, all right, fine. If that's what you're gonna do, we're cool. But you mm. show us something motherfucking good. And um, yeah, they <laughs> you have to you mean like love it or hate it, the quality of one division and then Falcon when the soldier was just like <laughs> oh shit, this blows shield out the water. Shield yeah. that that ugly yeah. little step kid that you just hide and you don't want anyone to see anymore. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. just like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh man, yeah, it must be like for you, like having your foot in all of these worlds, what, is there one that speaks to you the most or is it just, one of those cases of it, it, it's like they all feel a different need. They they all feel a different need. Um, yeah, they, they all feel a different need. My before I made my first art house film, which was like an urban street busking musical. Before I did that, I had just come off of like a string of DC and Marvel feature films, and. And years even like I came off like 14 years of of essentially creating violence. <laughs> you know, like it's like all I've really done up till this point in my life, I'm 35, and all I've done is create violence since I was like 22. You know, it's all I've done. I just created violence. And most of it's consumed by, you know, teenagers, kids, mainstream audience. Um, and, and you know, it, it was really awesome when I was 25 to, you know, be doing that. And, and when I, when I got, you know, did, when I did the X-Men two, it was like the biggest scene in the world and the biggest movie in the world. And I was Nightcrawler in the, the Oval Office and 
was like the biggest thing that ever happened to me. It was so exciting, but I was like, you know, I was like 30. And, and then I'm, and as it goes on, you're like 35, 36. I'm like, I can't just do this for another 30 years and retire. I can't, I, I can't have, I won't be satisfied as a human being when I'm like, there, there'll be, you know, I, I, I'm a fatalist, you know, I, I had some health issues a long time ago and some, I'm a bit of fatalist. I, I know I'm going to die. Mm. We're all going to die. And I, you know, I think it's more prevalent in my mind. So I always think about, you know, if I'm about to die, um, what will I regret? Would I regret making an urban musical, this, you know, art house award-winning film or hopefully award winning it turned out to be, would I, would I regret trying? Or would I regret the fact that I did the same thing from when I was 23 till I was 60, just creating violence, right? I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So when I went and I did this really artsy musical, which really confused people, <laughs> critics would look at my resume and go, what the fuck is he doing? He can't do this. This is not how the industry works. You can't be an art house filmmaker and also be Nightcrawler. Can't do it, son. And, and I did get attacked by some critics on a personal level for it. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah, it's super weird. I, I am actually getting the same thing on Badger at some reviews. Yeah, yeah. They like, don't attack after me. Like the, the weird thing about that is because it's just like there are so many examples of people that have these, you know, different personas but they both work, you know? So it, it's weird to be like, oh, you can only do this. How dare you? How Everyone dare is complex. We're, we're human beings. We're complex things. I mean, are you kidding? Of course, everybody has, has this need. Everybody does. My friends who stayed in stunts and never did anything else, the ones that really did are the most jaded, miserable people that I know substance mm. problems broken marriages they're miserable my friends that like maybe they weren't even talented but who started playing guitar learned piano wrote a book got into acting those people have fulfilling lives yeah their resumes are stacked as stunt guys but outside of that they've also you know they're writing songs and 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 they're they're painting they're they're doing things that are that are creative because we're all creative human beings i don't you know unless you've got you know unless you're a brain damaged or even then you're a creative human being i mean we we're all creative and so to 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 categorize people like hollywood like the entertainment business does it it is it is kind of um it's it's frustrating it it really is and and i know people who are who are the highest paid stunt coordinators action directors in the world that almost have to keep their hobbies silent they can't post them they can't put up a you know instagram video of them singing or doing something like that because all of a sudden that producer is like no i just want the best person in the world for for if, if this person is learning how to sing then they're obviously not qualified to to choreograph the fights it's like really <laughs> i don't that's true. But, but the person saying it has hobbies. Like that, that's the thing that is always so weird. There's the people right. who say to you, no, 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 no. 
all you can do is this. It would be like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, well, you know, I'm going to go like canoeing. I might go bouldering. I think it's Sunday night. I think we're doing some karaoke and maybe some pottery. And this is like, oh, so you can do other things, motherfucker. But I have to be in a box. But I, because I work for you, I can't. <laughs> yeah. But that's how the industry works. It really is. And it's, it's pathetic. But when, when you see it from a... A, a money manager's point of view i kind of get it they're putting together pieces really fast and they're like they're looking at all the work and then a video pops up of them playing you know or playing cello and you're like well is he a cellist she a cellist or, or is he a stunt coordinator well he can be extremely capable as a stunt coordinator and been playing the cello uh, as a hobby for 20 years and be phenomenal mm. <laughs> Well, I, mean, I think it speaks to the dexterity of the thing, right? Because to do that, the coordination, right? The, the, the processing of, okay, my finger goes from here to here. All right, I'm going to then take the song up to here, bring it down, right? So I stop, pause, boom, go, uh, like all of that. And yeah. that goes into... Yeah. Okay, planning the stunt. Right, we need to place this here. Okay, too many, too much explosive. Take that down. Don't want to hurt anyone. All right, boom, boom, boom. Like it's the same yeah. thing because yeah. you can't be dumb and play the cello. So you would hope that you know what I mean this this dude that is doing all of this stuff. Yeah, that like to show the, the, the playing the cello just shows that their mind is on point. That's you would what think. think. You would think that's what they you know, you hope that's what they would do, but but it it works against against you. And um, I mean, I'm kind of at that place in life where it doesn't really. I mean, it it's funny because from the filmmaking side, it's exactly the same thing, right? Forever, stuntmen were not allowed behind the lens. I mean, they would put a hairdresser. In, you know, in the director chair before they put a stunt coordinator in the director's chair. And this is still, this is still a discrimination that's still ongoing, even after John Wick and, you know, the, the, the there's been three or four really, you know, box office hits have been directed by some colleagues of mine. But even now, we're, we're still discriminated against because, oh, we're, as a stuntman can't do anything other than a, a an action film because they're not artistic yeah. they're not they yeah because they're stunt guys they must be dumb well, well and sometimes you your work isn't even credited like this one crazy thing i remember hearing just recently right i was speaking to someone and they're telling me that, that you know a lot of times actors will take credit for stunts they didn't do and it's just oh, yeah. like what the fuck <laughs> you know what i mean it's just like you're getting you're on the poster, you're getting the huge check. What's the need to take away that shine someone else had? Like it, it's it, baffling, but you never really hear about like the stunts, the stunt, pe the people that did. The only time you kind of hear about the stunts is when an accident happens. You don't even hear then. You only hear about it if someone dies, and maybe you hear about it, and maybe you don't. I just wrote an article about this for Movie Maker magazine. 
it's going to come out in their next publication. This is exactly what they asked me to write about. And it's, it's pretty eye-opening, I think, for a lot of people to realize that um, in a film like, you know, the, the you know, Road Warrior or something, uh, it's nominated for like eight Oscars, right? Mm. Well, who, you know, who's responsible for most of the creativity that goes on in that film? Well, the director, who's the second most responsible? The stunt coordinator, the stunt team. Yeah. And not only are they not recognized, they don't have an Oscar. They, they we, you know, the establishment has pushed back against that for years, so long. But the injuries and the severe, you know, lifetime, lifelong catastrophic injuries that happen, not necessarily on that film, but on blockbuster movies, mm -hmm. nobody pays attention to it. You pay attention to the, you know, the concussion issues with NFL athletes, with hockey players. We do that stuff without a helmet, bro. Yeah. Right. Men I know we we actually are the only business in the world with a 100% injury rate. Oh, damn. Yeah. And yet actors will still go on the thing and say, yeah, I do all my own stunts. It's like we we let them do some of their little things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man, you're not you're not going to get hit by a car. bro. <laughs> you know why? Because if you don't get up, the movie shuts down. Yeah. But if the stunt man gets killed, they shut down only for one day and they start back up the next morning. Just one day. One day. Oof. Yeah. I mean, next I get morning. it. There's there's a schedule and there's money, but someone just got killed. Like they've got friends who have to then go out there and do similar shit and have in their mind, am I next? Like there will be a stunt sequence the day after your friend was killed and you're on set the next day doing dangerous things again. And this is, this is not talked about, right? How many, how many people would ever know that it has a hundred percent entry rate? No one. No one heard of such. never gets mentioned. How, why, why is it that we work in the shadows, right? Why is that? Why, why will you never see Keanu Reeves stunt double on on stage at the Oscars. You know why? Why is that? Because why? I'd say it's ego. People don't want this. They like it, you. You see, there's people that don't want to share the spotlight, right? And if someone you know, you watch this this big crazy film with all of these explosions and these things happening, and people are like, oh, oh my days. You know, I mean, that person did all of that. That's incredible. But then if you'd be like, well, I mean, you know, they did that scene when they talked to the person, but the the other the but the, the bites and all of that, that was that was um Timmy, Timmy Smith. And you're like, wait, but the fights were the majority of the film. So why the fuck is that motherfucker getting an Oscar when it was old Timmy that did most of the fucking film? Right? And, and, and if you knew that, you wouldn't respect that Oscar as much. This, this is the root of it. And it, it's actually not the, the ego of the actor generally. It's really not. They, the, the actors, they get it. They, they come to set there. They stand back and go, holy shit, is he alive? And, mm -hmm. you know, this guy gets up, dusts himself off, you know, goes, gets the ice pack. 
And so we have a lot of respect for most actors. That's good. But That's good to hear. Systemically, it didn't start like that. Systemically, it started in the Westerns. And John Wayne couldn't ride a horse. So they would get some, you know, whatever local cowboy to do some cool stuff and, you know, shoot him from the back and from the side and shoot him up. So, you know, because John Wayne couldn't ride. I did not know that. If people knew that John Wayne wasn't doing that cool stuff, the public, the mainstream public had no idea about stuntmen back then. They really thought he could do all that trick riding and get Mm. on the horse while he's, you know, bareback and he's, you know, shooting a gun. He can't do that. But (laughs) the the mystery, the mystique of John Wayne, he was also shorter than a lot of people realized. They would always have have the, the woman next to him crouching if they were in a, in a two shot, they would put them, you know, higher. They, they, they did all these things because they, they understood that you had to, had to create a fantasy. <laughs> and that has somehow gone into the DNA of the movie industry. And it is still there today. The studios look at this as that old, in that old way, that that DNA is still here. Mm. We, they don't want, and, and if they thought about it for a second, they probably would. But instinctively, they don't want stunt people recognized because it, it breaks that wall of, of like, why, why is a movie star this intoxicating thing? Well, you know what it is? It's because when you watch a movie and it affects you emotionally, either it's thrilling, it's adrenaline, or it's like deeply emotional when you see the actor's face you connect everything about that to that actor yes all that actor did was show up and talk and say the lines in a convincing way but everything else that went on around them the lighting the makeup the hair the stunts everything goes into creating a sensation a feeling whatever that is maybe sorrow maybe joy maybe elation it may be adrenaline and then you look at the the movie star's face and you think that and you think that person is the one that's responsible for it mm. and they're not they're not that's the magic of star power that's the magic of hollywood and by having that adrenaline that action star jackie chan has many stunt doubles mm. right greatest greatest action star in the world he would he would stage accidents after the movie he would do a blooper reel um and fake and fake accidents no Um, yeah and this is my hero right like i'm not dissing jackie chan he was the man he was my inspiration and my teammates were on his his team i'm i'm like deeply indebted to jackie chan Mm. but I know because my were there like one of his stunt doubles is a white guy from Australia. He <laughs> did four movies as Jackie's Chan stunt double and they put a, they put a prosthetic Jackie Chan head on him and he would do all of Jackie's stunts. And he would do all of this, you know, all this, even his fighting. And yeah. it's, it's creating that, creating that, that sensation, you know, and, and yeah, Jackie was a genius in movement and choreography. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not anything from that, but it was so important for them to, you know, give that audience what they want. Yeah, you know, make show that blooper where he where he gets hit in the face, and it actually some of them were real, of course, 
but if they didn't have enough or they didn't, you know, they wanted to, they, they would, they would create a blooper at, after they, they were shooting, they would create bloopers where he'd like be limping around with a uh, broken leg and he didn't actually have it. So that's the same thing that's going on in Hollywood. They know that it sells box office. People go to movies to escape. They want the fantasy of it. They allow visual effects, Oscars, hair, makeup, camera, cinema, cinematography. And I think it's because those are all kind of like sort of deep in the background. Nobody really knows what a cinematographer really does, right? You can't really relate to it unless you're a photographer. No, but it's just, it, it kind but, of sounds different a lot of times when you hear about it. You know, yeah. Like different people will say different things. So you're not, you're like, wait, I thought you, huh, okay. So yeah, it's what it's one of those titles that you see, but it's like, oh, okay, they've got a cinematographer. Oh, it must be. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. But 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 the but the primal thing of like seeing a guy hit with a car moving at relatively high speed, smashing the window, flying over the hood, over the roof, landing on concrete. That's a human being. That's a person. And that's a that's a primal thing that if you saw behind the scenes footage of that stunt performer doing that and they broadcast that. And they showed the behind the scenes of that at the Oscars, let's say, then this, this, this is, this is a whole, a whole area that they don't really want to go into. They don't know what's going to happen to the actor if they, if, if they saw the behind the scenes, you know, and, and, and imagine if they saw, you know, uh, behind the scenes of, stunt performers being injured imagine the connection that you would have to that performer and then how differently you would look at the movie star who made the action movie when you look at that movie star's face you're gonna have doubts because you saw behind the scenes footage not on youtube or not somewhere that you don't really know what it is but at the oscar award ceremony what if you saw that well right i, I think the thing is though right what they they they're not really getting is people when they see a new film's coming out right a lot of times I, it's like music i remember when an album dropped like when you know when jay-z you know talent quality most depth you know any of the they drop a new album right i'm always on the credit notes going like oh shit who produced who produced oh jay did a track all right all right you know what I mean? that's cool who else? Who else? Young Juru did it something. Knife one. Ah, nice. There, I'm getting this shit. This is going to be dope. Right? So it's like, if people knew the stunt people, it would be the same thing. Because people look Thank at you. films for the directors. They're like, oh, well, I always see a Sam Mendes film. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. Sam, if Sam's behind the camera, I'm going to go see it. Oh, mm -hmm. if, um, you know, if, uh, fuck. Um, Gina Rodriguez is in, starring in a film. I'm going to go see that, right? Mm. So it's like, if I see, you know what I mean, Kirk Coquette, you know what I mean, doing the stunts and shit, oh shit, yeah, Kirk always does great stuff. I'm going to go see, like, yeah. It would just be that, right? It's just like, how do you not understand? Because that's the thing with everything else. People follow people they like. 
right? Does they follow directors, actors, musicians? You know, if John Williams does a score, people are like, oh, wow, you can't, John Williams, he never disappoints. Ah, oh, man, I'm going to get on that, right? I know. It, I know. It, so it's just like, if you knew the stunt people, it would be this, why would it be different? It wouldn't. And you're it just wouldn't. looking at the actors going like, yes, you might be like, oh, I thought they did their own stunts. But on the flip, you'll be like, they convinced me, man. So, hey, they're still a great actor, but they still convinced the fuck out of me to believe that they just got run over. So I'm still on it. I'm still not going, ugh. I can't watch another Tom Cruise film because I thought he really jumped across that that building to the next one. <laughs> no, he actually, he actually does some of those. Um, you just validated my my uh, inter my my article for Movie Maker magazine. That is exactly what I said. I, I exactly the way you expressed it. You just nailed it on like right on the nose, man. I, I said this old DNA. Nobody, nobody believes it. No, it's, it's over. You know, if, if like we could have more protections for our stunt people, if people knew they existed. Yeah. When you are in cinema in China, the fight choreographer has almost sometimes more star power than the, the director oh. because they celebrate their fight choreographers there and they are household names. And guys like Samuel Hung, who are, you know, they've, they, I mean, they, they, they are absolute mega stars. And we hide our fight choreographers and pretend they don't exist. They celebrate theirs, I right? Mean, it does seem to make sense with like the, the culture and the type of films that are like made a lot of the time. So yeah, I, I believe that, but it's just and, like, it, it, it's weird. Right, because Hollywood are definitely taking a, uh, hmm, and they're taking advice from China, right? It's just like, okay, we, oh, we better change the gender of that character. No, we better not put that flag in this film, right? So yeah. you'd think if you're gonna do all of that, why not as well then go, well, all right, if they're treating the stunt people as like this, then maybe we can do the same. <laughs> it seems so, obvious right like like you said when you're looking at the back of an album if you're really into it you're gonna know who that those names are right and you're kind of gonna geek out to it i think it would improve the box office i think it would mm. it not only but it would, it would also it would also humanize the stunt department it would humanize these people and if one of them died and they they started shooting the next day at least you'd hear about it my, well, yeah, my, they mentioned in the the Oscars thing of the the memorable people that were killed this year. No, they don't men mention. They they know this. The, they don't know the stunt performers that were killed or had her arm ripped off. My my best friend. This is one of this. This is something that really, really, uh, really deeply affected me. Um, my. At, at that time, that moment in time, he was my best friend in the world. And he he was on the set of Smallville. And he was up on a bridge doing a stunt and a safety wire got clipped by a piece of metal and it snapped. And he was 33 feet above a concrete parking lot. And he spiraled in 33 feet 
three stories into concrete. And he landed on the right side, he broke his skull in two places, broke his jawbone, broke every bone on the right side of his body, uh, lacerated his liver, pelvis, hip, knee, ankle, half the bones in his feet. Nobody heard about it. Nobody, oh, nobody didn't heard know that. Uh, yeah. And this is not an isolated incident. I have many of my friends who are permanently disabled. Nobody knows anything about that. My, my, my friend Chris lived, which was amazing. He actually had, a, he had a, a slight DNA defect in his blood and his blood clotted faster than the normal person. And we, they got him to the hospital. I was there right away. And they were pumping uh, blood transfusions into him. And he was swelling like the marshmallow man because he was bleeding out, right? He had so many broken capillaries yeah. bleeding out. And there, you know, the family started coming in and we're just like, oh, just the most, you know, you know, I don't feel like crying right now, but it's the most horrible thing. And there, you know, the doctor said, we're probably not going to save him. And then his blood pressure started to take up and they're like, what's going on? This isn't, how's he? his blood pressure just started rising and we're like oh my god could he possibly live he was like he was like swollen out to here with all this blood inside of him and he he survived he did he does have you know he is limitations and in, in in life of course he you know he, he's never been able to work again uh but he lived <laughs> and uh no, nobody knows about any of this you know nobody knows about about the things that that we've all been through um, I've had, and I don't, I don't sit here and talk about all the broken bones and all the crazy, because we've all gone through it. You know, if you, if you've been a stunt performer for very long, you've gone, you've gone through it. You, you, and you know, we've got suicide, substance abuse problems. We've got post concussion syndrome everywhere, mm. everywhere. And we have a culture in stunts where you do not want to say that you have a concussion because A, you might not get hired for a while, and B, you don't want to seem weak because you're, you, you are judged by your toughness. It's like, it's from the cowboy mentality. It's from the rodeo star mentality. It's where it came from. How tough are you? Yeah, get back on that horse and then hit the bar, you know, and drink a whole bottle of whiskey. And that's, you know, and hats off to those guys are tough dudes. But in a modern world and in, in in $200 million action films, this is not necessary anymore. We don't need this, this kind of behavior because it ruins lives, it ruins families. It really does. Relationships, marriages, households, it destroys. Post-concussion syndrome is a horrible thing. Your personality changes. Your outlook on life changes. You, you clouds in your brain, you become violent. There are so many post-concussion problems in football, but they all get paid off. They're all like huge insurance policies, whatever. Most of the time, like where I'm working right now, there is no long-term disability. So I'm performing on this, on this film I'm, I'm working on as well. And if I did have a catastrophic accident, there is no safety net for me here mm. and that, that's another thing that people don't realize stunt perform that there was with with doing these crazy things you'd think well with no helmet with no helmet yeah. we're getting like, hit by cars flipping over slamming on a concrete no and helmet 
and that that happened to me one time and i know that hurts like a motherfucker so <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> try, yeah. try, try to go to bed the night before and get a good <laughs> night knowing that's what you're gonna do at nine o'clock the next morning. Oh, man. that's the life of, of, of a stunt performer it, it, it's funny because i i was talking to a friend the other day and we, we was talking about like um there, there's been some like sexual allegations against the Australian swimming team, right? And one of their swimmers, she she pulled out of the trials. She like because I've complained about this behavior and nothing's been done. And I was and what baffled me was the fact that everything what happened in gymnastics, the craziness, the foulness that came out. And and all the other disciplines didn't go, we better audit ourselves to make sure nothing happens here. Like crazy? Yeah, no, no one was like, oh, if that happens there, it could happen here. Right? And that blows my mind that there's this 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 nasty mentality that no one's trying to look after people. And we in regards to you guys, it's I, I kind of feel because like we've seen all these deaths in um, pro, res pro wrestling, WWE, that's pro wrestling, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We see all those deaths, Chris Benoit, just all of those ones. We've Two seen times. Yeah, we've seen it in NFL. Like we've seen the consequences of concussion. So to go to, like, to, to, to look at people who do the same thing, do the same fucking thing and go, ah, that'd be all right. It's just like, what? Like, well, what the thing is, nobody is looking. That's the thing. Nobody <laughs> is looking. At least the gymnastics teams in the Olympics, people are looking at them. We work in the shadows. We work behind a closed curtain that nobody knows about. I'm working on location. I can't even tell you the movie I'm on, it's a hundred million plus franchise film. I can't even tell you what work, what movie I'm on. You'll see my name in the credits next year, whenever it's released, but I can't even talk about what's, what's happening in my department. This is, this is all going on behind, behind this velvet curtain of the stunt department. And even the crew, they don't really know. The producers don't really know what's going on because we have always worked like that. You keep your mouth shut, you're tough. Hopefully you've got some talent that we can bring that you, you know, that you can offer us and you're, you're loyal and keep your mouth shut and keep your mouth shut and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, how are we in 2021 with the, the, you know, the me too movement and, you know, all lives matter, stop Asian hate, everything. And we're still in this, you know, and, and yeah, all the, all these allegations, all these crazy things that happen in the Olympics. And we as stunt performers are doing these extremely public things on the big screen. We're this massive force inside of the film industry. We are what makes blockbusters blockbusters. We make money for Hollywood more than any other department i'm sorry but no nobody fills an act a theater like an action film mm. you don't, you, don't you, you can't you're not going to see marvel films without any action in them 
but yet we are still ghosts. Yeah. Even yeah. the action directors that will direct one third of a movie will give all of that credit over to the main unit directors so that they can sit there on the red carpet and collect their award. And we say nothing about it. Meanwhile, we've got substance abuse problems. We got concussion problems. We got deaths. We got dismemberment. It's the hardest freaking job in the world, man. Not that many people do it for very long because mm. it kicks the crap out of you. I was down and out for a while. I'm bounced back. I'm down out again. I bounced back. I had, I had uh, head injuries. I had a, a crazy, uh, crazy bone marrow autoimmune cancer disease thing that I got from like one and a half million people get it. So it came from probably from this prosthetic suit that I got shoved in that was from China that I had to wear out in a, in a, in a gravel pit on this stupid, uh, can't even remember, it was a Burt, Burt Reynolds, Jason Statham film. No, nobody even saw it. Uh, some king that I can't remember what it was called. But I had to wear the suit and not just me, a few of my friends. And we had to like, it took three hours or two, two hours to get into the suit. Three sure. people helping you to get into these suits. And then we were in a heat wave. We went on a gravel pit. And for two weeks, we did fight scenes in these suits. Day one, my friend collapsed day one from heat stroke. He's a six-time karate world champion. He collapsed day one. They cut him out of the suit. And the ambulance said that they didn't get him out 15 minutes later. He, if he, they would have got him out 15 minutes later, he would have died of heat stroke. Damn. And we, we continued on. And I'm stubborn as a freaking mule. <laughs> you probably figured by now. I'm stubborn. I won't quit. I don't know when to quit. I won't quit. And we, we just powered through and one by one guys dropped off and they would bring a new guy in you know they were dropping like flies i stuck it out i think i was i, think it was, I was one of the last three and um i was up in this tree <clears throat> i was 15 feet up in a tree and I'm, I'm supposed to be this zombie like i'm in this 30 pound prosthetic and and again like it was so tight and it's made in china full of chemicals, just reeked of chemicals. Mm. And I'm top to bottom, I'm, I'm zipped in, like uh, glued in, I'm, I'm breathing fumes. And you know, this is like two weeks in. I, I don't know how I haven't had heat stroke yet. And I'm hanging out of this tree and I'm doing the stunt where I've got to like push off this tree and land on this pad. Not a, not a big gag, but they don't have the pad underneath me yet. They put me up in the tree and they put a little, webbing around the tree and gave me a little tiny wedge just a little wooden wedge to stand on the ratchet strap wasn't done up tight enough and the wedge popped out now i've got i've got all of my force all of my strength bear hugging this tree and i'm trying to yell at my buddies to bring the mat in and nobody knows wow. that i'm deep trouble i'm gonna fall 15 feet flat on my back it's gonna hurt <laughs> it's yeah. really, really seriously and i'm holding on i'm, I'm like pushing through the pain, pushing through the pain, pushing through the pain. And okay, we're getting ready to roll. Okay, we're gonna roll. Okay, hold the roll, hold the roll, hold the roll. I'm like, and you're at that point where you're like, can you hang on for another 30 seconds? Can you push through the pain that you don't can and hold on? It's like a rock climber hanging off for his life. Can you push through that pain while you're wearing a 30 pound suit that's full of chemicals? You're just breathing, huffing in these chemicals. Finally, my friends realized I was in trouble. 
and they rush over, they start running with the pad and I pushed off the tree. And as the, they landed with the pad, I caught the corner of the pad and then hit the ground, but it broke my fall. Oh. And I lay and I couldn't, I couldn't cool down. It was, and it was 27 degrees. I couldn't cool down. And finally they cut me out of the suit, heat stroke, took me to the hospital, quit the show. <laughs> of course, <laughs> they were running by that point. And there's only three or four days left, I think three days left. And at that point, um, many of us had really crazy rashes that were breaking out. And 20 years later, we still have them. What? We don't know what they are. We don't know what they are, but we still have them. They come up when it's hot out and then the rash will reappear. I've got them all over. And about two weeks after that, I started to lose weight. I started to get very tired. I started getting very anemic and kept working, refused to think there's anything wrong, but I had, I, I lost my fire to go back to work. I didn't want to go back to work. And finally, after six months, I collapsed, took to the hospital and they said, you've got leukemia. Jesus Christ. What? And then they brought me back in and they said, okay, it might be way worse than that. You might have this other really, really, really rare thing, but we don't think you have it because only one and a half million people your age get this. So if you have it, this is extremely rare. And there's no treatment for it. And I'm like, oh, really? They're like, yeah, but you probably don't have it. They did the, the bone marrow biopsy. They tested it came back positive I was the youngest person in the country to have it and yeah they get they give me like five years damn mm -hmm. damn like can the china people be sued nobody can be sued nobody can sue. i i can't even i can't even begin to prove that the only, there's only one connection and it's through this, this uh, fire retardant chemical. Um, when they, when they do, when they do studies on rodents um, in labs, they, um, they trigger the, the, this autoimmune cancer that I have, they trigger it with a fire retardant chemical. And this fire retardant chemical is probably banned in North America, but the suits came from, they're saving money. Yeah. And I'm assuming it was probably in there and but even then, how could I, you know, I sign my, my rights away when I take a, a stunt contract. I, I willingly, it's a waiver, right? It's like, yeah. I willingly release my health, well-being and my life to this production. And in, in that case, um, it was, it was a really, a really serious, serious thing in my life. And I'm stubborn. So I, I took time off and I got a great health coach and there was no, there was no chemotherapy for it, which was great. It turned out to be great. And I was able to, uh, like by the, like whenever it was triggered, if it was triggered when I was on that tree, when I got heat stroke or one of those days, one of those weeks, it was triggered that time. I was actually able to like the six months or however long before I really got sick, I was actually able to reverse, reverse it. And I still, I still have it. Yeah. 
But 13 years later, I'm healthy because I was able to reverse it all the way back to its very, very initial stage. So I'm like stage one so, symptoms. But I was stage three when they found it. Good dad. Yeah. And I'm going to probably, if I don't die from something, I'm probably going to die from that eventually. Um, and no, does anyone, does anyone know these kinds of stories? Well, fuck no, of course they don't. Mm. Have I ever shared this on a podcast? I have not. Have you ever shared this in media print? No, I haven't. I haven't. I feel compelled to say it though, because again, we work in the shadows. Nobody knows what we do. And if you could bring, you know, a little bit of the spotlight, I don't want the spotlight. I'm old. I don't care anymore. But to the young guys that are doing crazy stuff, put them on stage, yeah. find out about, hear about them, hear their stories, hear, hear their lives. You know, a celebrity can sneeze. <laughs> Make that, my God. Oh, Look who's there dating now. It's like, yeah, but, you know, in, in Resident Evil, that stunt girl got her arm ripped off. Yeah, but I, I care more about the actress. But, yeah, but the stunt double got her arm ripped off. If you actually had that stunt double on stage at an Oscars accepting an award for lifetime achievement with a missing arm, people would go, what? Mm. This is real? Yeah, it's real. Funny. One last funny story I'll tell you. I don't. I know I've been talking a lot right now. Oh, no, that's no, it's great, man. One more funny story. Um, uh, the previous stunt double on Smallville is one of my teammates. I'm actually working with him right now. Ah. And he, he did this really gnarly stunt. Season one, I think it was the pilot. And there's a, he's standing on a bridge and it was him and I that figured out how to do this without being killed. But he's standing on a bridge and a Porsche hits him. And he smashes off the porch, it, it, Porsche, it, it breaks through the guardrail, goes over, it was like 35 feet or something into the water. And, and he gets hit with the car and he spins with the car. It's, it's a really great gag. And it, it had its, you know, it had its very, um, it, it, it was serious in, in a sense. It, it, if he got knocked out, the, the water was really muddy. We had safety divers, but they might not have found him, right? That was the thing. It's like, he gets knocked down, goes to the bottom, drifts down the river. And they got a couple minutes to find him. So we didn't know if he was going to get knocked out or not. We hoped he wouldn't. We took, we took a calculator risk, but it was a gnarly gag. And you can watch it. It's awesome. <laughs> Years later, I got, I got married. And I was working with my friend. And I showed my wife. I said, hey, here's a, here's a shot of the, uh, my teammate I'm working with. And I show her this gnarly gag and she's like oh my god did they wreck a porsche <laughs> I'm like, honey, honey, you know steve and she's like but he's really doing that yeah that's steve we had dinner with him last night um, and you're thinking about the porsche that's that sums up the mainstream movie going audience. That sums it up to a T. They're going to be like, damn, did they wreck a Porsche on that? Mm. Wow, a lot of money. <laughs> that guy really died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, it, it, this week, 
I think it was this week or it was last week. They were they, there was this whole litigation about um, the concussion settlements in NFL, mm-hmm. and um, it was this whole race norming craziness that they had. Whereas, like, um, they they created this base level. So going in, and black players had a lower level. So it meant that when oh. they, if they came in with the same, if they at the end of a season had the same concussion as a white player, they're not getting as much money because they're saying, oh, well, they started lower. And, and it is like something that makes no sense whatsoever. And it's how did they how do they judge that? What's what's I have no I have no clue. I have no clue how they came to that theory in the fucking first place, which is baffling. That's and um, yeah, it, it's just you know hit the courts and they were just like now they've said they're gonna remove it and they're backdating all the settlements and everything like that. And I, I'm wondering, like with that high level thing in the news right you've then got the 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 oscars and the grammys like like talking about changing the category names of awards and things like that do you think this might be the opportune time to get people to address these two subjects when it comes to your work i don't think there will be a time like the, the, the article I wrote for Movie Maker Magazine, people will read it and then they'll turn the page and see a picture of JLo and forget. Mm. And because we're not public figures, even though we're highly public on the screen, millions of people watch it. Million, more, more people will watch an X-Men than will watch a football game. But yeah. it'll never be about um, it'll never be talked about in public. It'll be kept quiet. It'll be kept behind closed doors. I'm the only one that's ever talked about this on a podcast that I know of. In fact, I know pretty much everyone, and this has never been discussed. The, the article that I wrote has never... I, I've seen articles that, that my colleagues have written, friends, close friends have written, you know, trying to get a, a category at the Oscars. But... I've never seen a published piece about stunt people and what really, you know, a tidbit of what really goes on behind the scenes. I think the, I think this movie maker magazine article will be the first and will anything change? No, I, 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 I don't think so. If it does, it'll happen slowly. Here, here's why I say that. Here's why I say that this concussion thing was major news years ago three years ago four years ago became major news Mm -hmm. they set up concussion protocols in place so they have these 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 uh these protocols if someone takes a really bad blow to the head they come off the field they have to ask them do you know your name do you know where you are do you know what date it is there's these lists of questions that we automatically know every day if you take a concussion you take a blow to the head you don't know yeah we have been trying to get that standardized and mandated into the film sets for four years. We still don't have it. Jesus Christ. We have first aid attendants standing by 24 seven for the cast and crew. And they are still 
not trained in concussion protocols. And so many times we will have concussion, concussions happen in front of our eyes mm. and it's not, it's, it's not taken care of. It's not addressed. It's not even acknowledged because we, our first aid attendants are only now just getting the training, just getting started. And it, it will, will it be, will it be standardized? Will it be manda- mandated? That's anybody's guess. I don't know. I have no idea. So even after that many years of this being fully, fully not like we have concussions all the time and we're getting like thrown across the room, smashed into a wall with no helmet on. You're getting, you know, you're doing so many like brute, you know, brutal hits all the time and you've got on no helmets. And, you know, I, I sometimes when I'm wearing a wig, I'll put an elbow pad where I think my head's going to take the most, the most of the hit on the wall. I'll put a little elbow pad under there if I can. If I don't wear a wig, I just, you know, tuck my chin and hope for the best. It's the only sport. It's the only business, only job in the world like that. And we still can't, we still can't get that put through even in Canada we still can't get that put through I'm working on location on a major tentpole film and we don't have safeties put in place it's just it's just incredible in this day and age this is this is the dark ages we're going back to like John Wayne days here where you pay a guy 10 bucks and a bottle of whiskey to fall off the horse and he you know limps home and and they pat him on the back and say, wow, good job. You're brave. You know, you're a cowboy. You're a real cowboy. This is still kind of what's going on in our business. It's, it's changing, but at the rate everything else is changing, it's nothing yet. Yeah. It's, it, and the, the, the major powers to be, the, the major studios, do they want this to come out in the press? Well, of course not. They don't even want to acknowledge that we exist. <laughs> but you put a stunt performer and give him an Oscar and give him a platform to speak in front of 12 million people, 112 million people. What, what, what might they say? We don't know. We don't know. I keep my mouth shut personally. I wouldn't say anything about it. If I was on mainstream TV, I wouldn't, I'd be too afraid. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you want to work, right? Want to work. Want a job. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's is crazy. It, it, it's crazy, and yeah, you're right. No one knows. No one knows any of this. No, nobody knows what we do. We work in the shadows. We are on. We are featured on the screen, and and we we work from complete darkness. Nobody nobody knows who we are, what we do. Nobody even knows that a third of an action film might be directed by a second unit action director. Mm for all the credit to the main unit director. People don't even know that. Even at the highest levels, they don't know that. So of course, you know, the pool boy from Saving Housewives, who I stunt double is on, you know, whatever late night talk show telling everyone he does all his own stunts. And I'm sitting home laughing. My friend's texting me, he's like, oh yeah, what the hell's his name, idiot? Says he does all his own stunts. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I don't care. Like. It's just, it's just, just show business. You know, he's, he's got to say that to increase his brand, you know, whatever. I don't care. My brand is, is, is with my colleagues. All I, all I care about is what, what my colleagues think of me. I don't care what, you know, uh, 
late night Seth Rogen thinks of me, it doesn't matter. You know, it matters to the actor, but not to me. We, we don't really care. So. Yeah, crazy. Maybe, um, maybe the stunt community needs to set up their own kind of Oscars thing. Well, we kind of do. And, and that's, you know, we do, but nobody watches. It's not, it's not a, it's not a thing. It's, it's just, a, it's like patting each other on the back. It means nothing and it doesn't change anything. It, it doesn't mean anything. And well, I, I think we need to turn that around. Definitely need to turn that around. Yeah. You know I mean? it's, it's, uh, it's in the DNA, man. It's, it's a hundred years old. It's his, it's his oldest filmmaking. How do you turn that around? I don't know. It'll, it'll change bit by bit. Just the fact that we have concussion protocols inch, inching their way into our, our business. Just that alone is, is a big change. Yeah. Um, getting, getting, you know, a, 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 st a stunt category at the Oscars, you know, we're st we're still just trying to get concussion safety put into our sets. <laughs> we're getting an oscar you know <laughs> yeah true true yeah. but um you know hopefully you know people read the article when that drops you know because yeah. I, I i think yeah if, if the right people read it and take notice who knows who knows i i don't think anything will come of it i don't I don't. I, I, I know it won't. I know it won't. Mm. Ah, man. But, hey, it, it, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, the more that um, Badger does, possibly, you know, you can be there talking and, you know. Yeah, here it, we are, you know? It, yeah, think about yeah, it. It, it, it. Get here out. Here we are, you know? Yeah, here we are. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Indian filmmaking art, you know, nerd ball, and, <laughs> and, and yet I, you know, I have got 27 years of, of, of this world that I've been living in that I can talk about, and, um, not, not many filmmakers are gonna, gonna, gonna be able to do that, and, and the ones that do, nobody's mentioned it, like. Yeah, you know, nobody's talking about this. They're 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 too too busy trying to get their next film to direct. And yeah, you know, so maybe I can be a voice and talk to them as well. My you know my friends that are directing feature films now that are stunt performers. Um, there's only four of them. <laughs> we could we could you know, make this a, a point of conversation and in interviews and things like that. That would that would certainly start changing things. Yeah. Yeah. That's what. It, it would take it would take like i'm not a celebrity director you know i'm in the art house but my friends that are doing you know bigger films yeah i, I can i can talk to them and, and see if we can we can bring bring some of this into the to the spotlight but you know it might not be good for their director career either you know it we've we've got big forces um at play here i don't know i don't know i mean we don't we don't have we don't have a uh you know, a race card, a sex card, a discrimination card. We don't have any, any, anything that is in the social zeitgeist behind us. We don't have anything um, that would be like, hey, 
yeah, okay, we're, we're cleaning up the casting couch, we're cleaning up racial discrimination. Stunt guys, no, they're, they're they, no, they, they, no, never mind. You know, we're, they're cleaning up all these, you know, the Olympics, but they're, yeah, they're they're, not, they're, they're not a, a, a kind of a unifying banner to get behind other than just health and well-being in the workplace, which is something that is you'd think is universal, but oh, no, it's not, right? <laughs> so it's, it, it, it's hard to kind of push it on that front when people go, yeah, but that's just, every workplace is, you know, looks at that, but it, and it, it's an assumption, I, I, I'd imagine that, you know, it, these things are there, but they're not. So it, it, it's hard to now, you know, go, you need to do something. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the more we talk about it, who knows? Who knows, I've shared a lot more on, on this moment than I have with uh, the public in any other forum in my life. So maybe this will continue. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll definitely, um, you know I mean, push it out there and um, mm -hmm. but make sure people pay attention as well as seeing the damn film you know I mean? yeah. And yeah. Up for velvet yeah yeah Get, getting yeah coming full circle back to back to uh the, the reason for the, the the podcast and the publicity was was um yeah we the, the film's coming out june 15th on on pay-per-view platforms and it's going to be on a, a a big cable network in september um in the u.s and um, yeah, hopefully, you know, it finds, it finds a bit of a following, um, you know, hopefully a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of the film nerds um, like myself kind of get off uh, on it a little bit thinking about, hey, this is extremely creative. And it, even if it works a little bit, it's kind of a miracle, you know? So mm. hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it, it, it gets some attention. And, and the more attention it gets, I think the better it is for every stunt performer in the world. Yeah, no, for sure, man. And I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm sure, yeah, definitely sure it will. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, man. So definitely when Velvet comes, you need to come back and we can talk about it a bit more. But, hey, if you ever want to just talk about like, the, the, the stunt situation and just, you know, stunts in general, you are definitely more than welcome, man. This has been a, a really just a fascinating friggin' insight, right? There's, there's stuff that I had no clue about, you know? So yeah, I appreciate you, um, you know, just being crazy open and sharing all of that. It's been interesting, interesting as hell. And I definitely, man, I, 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 it, it bugs me a bit because I just want to be able to go, hey, you know, if you do this, that could help. But I, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything that could, that, that could help the situation. You know? Yeah. But if yeah. I do, <laughs> I will let you know, man. I will let yeah, you know. if we get like a, a bunch of stunt guys on Joe Rogan, it might, people might actually go, hmm, I never thought of that. Mm. You know? Well, I, I think he spoke, ah, oh, he might not. I was going to say, I think he spoke to Chad, but I don't know if he, has actually um i don't think he has I, I i hope i hope he does 
That'd be awesome. Because I, I know he talks about him all the time. No, he hasn't had him on, but he, he's mentioned him because he, I, I think he, he, he met him at, um, yeah, the training school. The tactical place, the, sh- yeah. the shooting um, place. And, yeah, and- it's called 8711. Um, and and Keanu uh, Reeves trains there before John Wick even was a, an idea. He, he trained with all those guys. Chad was a stunt double from like way back. Yeah, on the Matrix, right? I, I think it, it, it was. So, yes, yeah. I, I think they. I think he spoke. He's spoken about him a good few times, and I think he might have said that he wants to get him on, but there is a comp. They're trying to find the right time. But I mean, yeah. definitely, if 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 Chad was to talk about this on there, that would be fucking huge. That would be huge. That, yeah. that would that would be. That would be some. That would be a start of something. If something it, was going to start, it it would be. It would be. That's the right crowd. That's the right place to get people interested. Um, hopefully, Chad, if he's on there, he doesn't clam up and and you know just talk about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, yeah, I, I, yeah. I hope because. Yeah, it's just crazy. It, 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 it's crazy to find out that, you know, the, the uh, yeah, the, just the support isn't there. Like, after everything we know, after everything we've seen with the NFL, with, um, you know, pro wrestling, I mean, like MMA, like um, the UFC have just set up a whole concussion program to look at it and the effects on it on fighters. So yeah. it's just like with all of this happening and, and, and there's no support, it's just... And we take way harder hits than fighters. Yeah. I'm only hitting another man so hard. A car can hit you a lot harder, you know? Uh, yeah, a, a car hurts. <laughs> it's been it's three times. I feel like three times and it hurt every time. <laughs> it's not a natural thing of humanity we did not evolve we evolved fighting but we did not evolve getting slammed into brick walls on cables at high speeds we did not get evolved for that so yeah (laughs) oh my days oh my days man but uh yeah cool well yeah this has been super fun thanks for um yeah this has been great i i I, you're really easy to talk to I, i i appreciate this man it's been this is very cool. Oh, hey, it's, it's my pleasure, man. I, I just appreciate, you know what I mean? Just the time. Just the, just the time and the, the willingness to just talk about anything. Because, you know what I mean? I, I, I realize it's maybe not the most conventional in, in, in questioning and all of that. But, you know, that'd be a little bit boring. So, it, you know, I like to just go in many different directions and tangents. And I'm glad you were just on for the ride. But uh, once you finish filming, you know, the the, the secret project, which, goddamn, I am, I mean, there's possibilities, but I'm not even going to guess. But once you finish, hey, come and we'll talk about that one too. Sounds good. Sounds good, man. Yeah, we'll definitely be back for sure, man. For sure. Outstanding. All right, man. I really appreciate it. And let's, um, yeah, one last time so people know American Badger is out Tuesday the 15th of June on all your favorite VODs.
Yes. Very, like hit the episode information and um, yeah, the, all the details will be there and make sure you follow everything Kirk does. All right, Kirk. Hey, all right. enjoy the rest of your day, man. Thank you. You too, brother. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right. All right. Okay, people, so that's it. We are done. I hope you enjoyed that. Man, it was, it was so engaging. Like, a fascinating conversation. And, yo, more needs to be done. But, people, share it with your peoples. Let's get the word out. And um, maybe something could happen, right? But if not, at least, people, go check out American Badger. It is out tomorrow, Tuesday, the 15th of June. And you will not be disappointed. All right, people, enjoy. Thanks a lot. Go check it out. Go rate the episode. Go rate the podcast. Hey, and go follow Kirk. All right? Peace.